Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Howard Tybal. Good afternoon, Pete. How are you today? I'm very well, Howard. Good afternoon. You sound like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, well, it's not the morning. I almost said the morning because people don't know, but it is the afternoon, and it's pouring here. But let's get to the matter of hand. We have a great guest. I am very excited about our conversation today. We're going to be talking about leadership through the strategic planning process, and we have a fantastic guest to help us through this conversation. But before we dig in, as usual, head over to TybalInc.com to learn about us and this show and subscribe. Subscribing is the best way to keep updated each week as new episodes are posted. Just click the blue button at TybalInc.com. All right, here we go. Mark Heckler has served as president of Valparaiso University since 2008. In his tenure there so far, he's chalked up a few notable wins, expanded facilities, expanded academic programs, and and a five-year campaign that achieved the largest fundraising goal ever by a Lutheran university. Today, he oversees the implementation of the most expansive and comprehensive strategic plan in the university's 150-year history. And he's here to share that story and so much more. Dr. Mark Heckler, welcome to Navigating Change. Well, thanks, Pete. Howard, it's great to be with you today. And and, and that, that that's as good an introduction as I've ever heard, Mark, by the way. He does good introductions, but man, that's a that's a great story for us to start off with, is that you've got some fantastic wins already under your belt. So so give us a little bit of background about sort of where you are today and how you got to today. Sure, and and I have to say right out of the gate, uh, it, it almost makes me uh, cringe when you when you say that that I've got wins because as as I would view it, the campus has wins. We have wins. Because, that was a test, by the way. You just passed. Yeah. Well, it, 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 that's what it's all about here at Valpo. Is we're trying to find a way. To, we're trying to find the way forward together. Yes. Uh, because that, to me, is the is going to be the way in which institutions really not just survive but thrive is if we find the way forward as a as a collective community of faculty and staff and students, alumni, board members, community members. It really is. It really is all of us working together to help move our institutions forward. So one of the things that when we did a little pre-discussion before we kicked this off, uh, I had raised this comment having helped and partnered with many institutions over the years around their strategic planning process. And you and I both reflected on the reality that you could look at 10 different institutions' strategic plans. And in many cases, the content is the same, and you could replace it with a different uh, institutional logo, and it could almost fit the bill for many different um, for many different ways and institutions looking to move forward. So, when you think about this, what what is the differentiator between what I'm describing there and a strategic planning process that really does nail it? Well, I, I would say that the the difference is the degree to which uh, the uh, the process has uh, engaged all the potential voices that can be involved in the process. And the the, mo- the moment I say that, I uh, uh, I hesitate because I've been I've been part of those processes, and probably other listeners have been part of those processes as well, where you're putting people through a lot of hoops, but at the end of the day, they don't feel like they own right. what um, what occurred at all, and they and they certainly don't feel like they have a stake in it. So, I, I think the that w- what makes a plan work is when people really feel like one, they had a stake in shaping it, two, they have a stake in delivering or implementing and achieving it. Uh, the third is that they have a stake in the accountability for it. 
Uh, and fourth is when it doesn't work, they have a stake in changing it. You don't just kind of sit on your haunches and wait for five years to pass. So I think that's been an important part of how we've approached planning at Valpo. And, and part of why I think while on paper you look at those goals and our five goals are going to look like a lot of other five goals, but what actually happens on the campus and, and what gets achieved, I think, is a little bit different. You know, I think that what you're pointing to that I definitely want us to get more into is this, the difference between a plan and execution. And we can have great plans, and if we're not clear about how to ground them in a way that it's really about who's doing what by when and tying it back to the larger strategy, this is when these things can really either get delayed or really not get traction. So how do you, when you think about implementation, how do you uh, put this into the organization, whether it's with your vice presidents and they are sort of going out there and getting wins? How do you go from a great plan to a great implementation? I guess it's uh, the degree to which uh, people are uh, involved in the, in the process. And, and I think that's a key point that I'd like to make today is that, that uh, anybody that's involved in doing a strategic plan and they, and they really do want to achieve results has to spend an enormous amount of time thinking through that process, um, thinking through who are all these constituencies that have a stake in the future of the institution and finding a way in which you can engage them in the shaping of these ideas and empower them uh, to uh, to implement to implement those ideas and c- to continue to evolve the plan. So, if you'll bear with me just for a couple minutes, I'd like to describe um, this in a little bit more detail because it might help people understand. I think it's great, absolutely. All right. So, uh, back in 2008 is when we did our first um, uh, beginning of the iteration of the planning process. I- I'd come in as president uh, that fall. And like every president who started in 2008, we all came in with some wonderful ideas about what we were going to do. And then the bottom dropped out of the market three months later. And, uh, and so endowments drop, you know, 30, 40 percent and uh, uh, revenues dry up. And so we were, we were faced with the same set of uh, crises that many other institutions were facing back in 2008. Well, I would normally have started a strategic plan at that point because I was the new president. Uh, But what we chose to do instead was to take a whole year and just talk about what we wanted the most desired future of the institution to be. So it wasn't sitting down and crafting goals and objectives and arguing over language and who was included and who wasn't included in the plan. We really spent time with all of the constituencies. We had sessions with the faculty. We had sessions with the students. We had sessions with the community and with the board and with uh, key donors and uh, alumni. And in those sessions, we we had a an opportunity to reflect on what that future ought to look like. Then we brought uh, we brought together in an intentional summit, it was two days over a weekend, we brought together uh, through by invitation the people that uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell would call connectors. Mm. Uh, and so we identified the connectors in all of those different constituencies. Oh, can you stop there? I love this. So give me an example or give us an example. Because first, intentional summit is a fantastic set of language to describe. We're going to bring people together with an intention. So so can you give an example of what you mean by connectors? Because I think that's, that's sure. really yeah, interesting. And how do you sure. define so, them? So a Gladwell connector is uh, somebody who is a, is a, uh, a natural networker. 
So the way I described it was who out in that campus walks around, knows, seems to know everybody on the campus and gets this person to work with that person and that person to work with this person. I mean, you have those people in your campus. They are connectors. They're kind of the glue of the institution. They reach How did you out find of- these people? How did, did you reach out to people and ask that question? I did. Or did you know some of those people already? I, I knew very few of them because I had just started. So I turned to the deans, the provosts, the vice presidents. I turned to the faculty senate. I asked the student body. I turned to the, the, the uh, alumni association. I said, who are those people? We want to invite and so and so they gave me lists. I mean, we got we got big lists so that so that they would get an invitation. But here's the thing: so you send the you send the invitation out. You're invited to participate. You know, the president invites you to participate in a summit. So they get the invitation. Well, then you get all the people that wondered why they weren't invited. Right. These are all these these are the third cousins that didn't get to come to the wedding. Right. And so yep. all they have to do is raise their hand and say. I'd like to be invited. And so then you invite them because yeah. these are the people that have a vested interest. They <laughs> want to be involved. Yeah. And, uh, and so what started out as maybe a day with uh, 150 people turned into a day with 250 people. So but, I have a question. You know, it turns out those put, are the people you want more anyway. They're the ones who really want to be there. Yeah. And they're going to carry. They're yeah. going to carry that plan. So, so they came in. Uh, they, you know, they they talked about what the most desired future of the university was going to be, and then they crafted these very careful statements that described the most desired future. Now, there's a piece of this. Um, you have to understand as a president. I think Howard, you brought that up in some some early conversation that we had. As a president, that means you have to be willing to give up control of the outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in exchange, and that's hard to do, isn't it? It's really hard to do because you just know darn well what needs to be done, right? You're the president, <laughs> after all. Right. And and what you discover if you allow yourself to give up that control, and you shape a conversation carefully, and you have the right people in the room, the real stakeholders, the people that are carrying that institution, you will get the answer to that question. And you will discover, especially if you're you're a new president and you're coming in from the outside as I was, you will discover institutional culture, history, um, what, what priorities are important, what values the institution holds, and that will be enormously informative as you start to craft a plan. See what's interesting about this approach when I when I when I work with other presidents, and and what I know about most presidents, you come on board. One of the one of the standing things that they all do is this idea of a listening tour. But I think what you've done is, like you said, more intentional, because it 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 actually invites people who want to contribute. It has these identified connectors who are naturally going to engage folks. And then you become a listener of really what is going on in the community as opposed to visiting a division and then going to another division. It it almost has this quality of reinforcing silos when, in fact, it sounds like what you did was in the early stages of your presidency, you made sure you were part of a shared conversation. Uh, absolutely, but but not only a shared conversation, but then one that was very intentionally orchestrated. And by that, I mean most of these conversations occurred in small groups of 10 people, and the composition of those small groups were very carefully crafted. 
so that in each one of those rooms, in essence, my instruction to the folks that were that were um, vetting all of this was put the knowledge of the institution in every room so that you would have the different schools and colleges represented. You would have, you know, positions of diversity and inclusion represented in the room. You would have maybe somebody from athletics and student affairs. And, and so you would, you would try to craft little microcosms of the institution in every one of those rooms. And then you could find out by, by those groups coming back together in plenary, whether there was indeed consensus or there was real conflict across the institution. And I, I was blessed in that there was tremendous consensus. Even if they broke off and had completely different conversations, when you put all those components in the room and you turn them loose on some questions about the most desired future of the institution, what came back had just had such consonance. Uh, and and it, it had consonants across the board, the alumni, the students, the faculty, the staff. So it really, because we took that time in the beginning, by the time we actually got to crafting a plan, there was all of this momentum and goodwill. People really wanted to, really wanted to work on finding a way to execute against these, these desired outcomes. That's, that's really exciting. Uh, you know, I, and it's funny because I, I was reflecting on the enthusiasm that you bring to this, but I was also wondering, uh, thinking about your colleagues as presidents, whether it's other Lutheran schools, denomination, or even some of the larger schools, if you think that the way this was approached is something that it's it by default a president would not uh, lead with this. I think that I've been on a lot of projects, and, and, and again, my view is a bit skewed because if you think about it, if you bring me in, I'm going to bring these strategies that are about bringing cross-functional perspectives. But I'm 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 inclined to think that if you're working just within your institution, a president likely is going to rely on his senior team and is not going to lead the charge and say. I want to have this intentional sub, uh, summit where we've got this, as you said, orchestrated different perspectives in every room. And what's fascinating to me, listen to you say this, is I think presidents underestimate how important it is to be explicit about what they want because people are listening really carefully. And when I talk to people about, when I talk to presidents about their frustrations, sometimes it's, they think they're being clear when in fact they are not being specific enough. And it sounds like you got in there to really make clear what your expectations were, and then people rise to the occasion. My, my expectations were process-oriented, and, and maybe that j just comes out of those folks that, that come in a, into it from the academic affairs side are going to be, if they're going to be successful, they're going to be sticklers about process because for faculty, it's all about the process. So, so to me, just carrying that forward and thinking strategic planning from the presidential level has to have the same attention to detail with regard to process as anything that you would do on the academic side. Uh, and, and you're really trying to, to orchestrate an inclusive, uh, comprehensive but very focused conversation. You have to be willing to sacrifice some of your own desire to control the outcome 
and uh, and and to have some degree of surprise. I'm, I, I just coming from this from a faculty perspective. I you know we've been through I've been through my own share of of strategic planning uh, introductions and the you know when we hear a new president come onto campus and say hey we're going to do a strategic planning process usually the response is okay a, a strategic plan and a president. All that and $15 million will get their name on a student center. What's it going to get us, right? It, it comes with that healthy sense of just downright skepticism that we've been through it before. Uh, we're, how are we going to possibly be able to believe that we're going to do it again? Okay, we got a seat at a table at a meeting. You know, how, how do we do this? It sounds from your story like Valparaiso was A— uh, ready for this kind of a of a campus wide inclusive transparent conversation already, uh, but I wonder if you if you found yourself running into some of that natural skepticism and and how you dealt with it or or was that just not a thing that hit your uh, hit your radar? It, it there was tremendous goodwill here, so I, I'll give you that, Peter. Just there was such goodwill from the faculty; um, they were ready for uh, a transparent conversation. But I have to say also, I never use the word strategic planning. Ah, there you go. (laughs) I I told folks, don't, it's not strategic planning. We're going to have a search conference, and that's the model that we use. It was a search conference model, which is a a particular branch of facilitated facilitated conversations. So we're going to have a search conference as a campus to describe the most desired future for Valparaiso University. So let's that, fast, that was yeah. that was the task, uh, and then later after after we did that, I said, "Well, then, what's our strategy going to be?" There you go. What's our That's what's great. our strategy? Suddenly, we wake be? up and we right. realize we've been strategic planning all along. And and so then we yeah. started to work on what the strategy was going to be. <laughs> and, so in uh, some ways, and, you had to redefine. You you've had a set of context for what the process looks like in this search conference. I mean, I'm sure it begged the question from people, what does that mean? But you had a framework for telling that story and then imbuing that across the culture, so people weren't getting caught up in strategic planning. I think that if if anything, if nothing else, I think that concept of not calling a strategic planning is probably the, one of the single most important takeaways, in my view, for others who are in this process, is to step back and to think more about how do you get people engaged in this conversation as opposed to we have to write our next strategic plan. I, I'll offer one other one other suggestion, and this worked really well for us. And this this comes out of the search conference model. So we we did, and as again, we had a summit, so we had everybody there. Uh, and they all heard the same information. We looked at external trends, and we we used that time together to for everybody to put down everything that they knew about the external environment that could affect us in the future. Uh, and we looked at kind of what our performance was, and we looked at everything that was happening inside the institution and where we were. And then we just asked this simple question. If we do nothing, then what we're doing today, what will happen. And so then people ruminated on that for a while. And if you think about it, if you're sitting in an institution today and you do a thorough external scan and you do your own internal analysis and you ask that question of bright people, if we do nothing, what is going to happen? Suddenly, there is enormous motivation to do something. And and that 
that really started to propel our plan because people knew, hey, we really need to do something. What does that motivation look like, though? Is that because the way you're the way you're I'm, I'm inferring from your from your tone that that motivation is one of uh, uncertainty and fear. Like if we do nothing, oh my goodness, what the worst could happen? Is that where people went, or you know, it doesn't take long in this environment to get there, does it? No, not at all. But uh, but again, in the under the auspices of an institution that was sounded like they were sort of ready. You talk about the the goodwill that was already there. Um, you know, how much of this was motivated by sort of a negative negative internal voice on your teams versus a positive. Well, it, it was it was not I mean the, the it's hard to describe what happens, but you you kind of lay everything out and you're looking at all the assets in the institution and 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 everybody's there and you can see the light bulb go off. Well, I could be doing this in order to address that issue. And if we put this and this and this together because you got everybody in the room, well, we could do this. And so people start making connections mm-hmm. across the institution and they start looking at solutions. And I wouldn't say that there was a collective fear in the room. In fact, this was before the crash, right? Yeah. So there wasn't that collective fear that many of us have gotten used to now in our institutions, but there was, there was hope that, that actually if we came together in a new way, we're going to be able to take this institution to a different place than it is right now. Well, so, and, I think, I, I, and I think that, that the, well, people of goodwill will, will get there. If you've got the right people in the room, because you've invited the right people, right? You've invited mm-hmm. proactive, connecting people who really want to work on the future of the institution. You've got the right people in the room. You don't have your, you know, your bomb throwers and your fire lighters, and they just aren't there. Uh, so you have the positive energy of the institution gathered together, and and you will get positive momentum out of that. Well, it's a difference between ex- expecting the worst and understanding the worst, and and the the beauty it sounds like of what you what you and the team were able to do was set the stage for permission to think about things in a new way. And, and I think that is a, a really valuable lesson for, for me, certainly. So were there any other or any unintended consequences of being inclusive? Because you, you talked about the reality is you have to be willing to give up control and listen and follow where the process is taking. But I'm sure there must have been times where you had to intervene to keep it on track. Well, the, the, the hardest part, I think, in, in this kind of a process is uh, keeping people focused on the question so that they aren't diverting off and answering other questions. Ron Heifetz it, you know, would call it the uh, Maintaining the holding environment, that is keeping the campus in that state of creative tension around whatever the particular question might be. So for Valparaiso, it was around what what is the enrollment of the institution going to look like? What does it need to look like in the future? Uh, and that led us to big, you know, big conversations about what the what the student diversity of the institution was going to need to be and how international did we want to become and uh, and how much capacity did we have as an institution to to grow and where could we grow uh, and what would be the optimal balance between graduate and undergraduate and law domestic and uh, and uh, domestic minority and white international and and domestic um, so we had you know, we had big, 
conversations as a campus around that uh, and, uh, and, and try to stay focused on that question because that really was going to drive everything. Um, so there were lots of people that wanted to escape off in other directions, uh, but but that was really the crux of the. Yeah. So uh, I like that idea question. of keeping a focus on, keeping a focus on the singular question or the or the or that focus. The thing that I'm struck by is I think you're also a unique president in the sense of having a leadership focus around process. You know, I, I most of my experience working with leaders is they don't necessarily have that background. And you clearly, you know, not only are you drawing from l- thought leaders in this industry that are process focused, but you're not you're not doing what I think most times happens is we delegate, we create departments or divisions that are process focused, or we go to a person and say, I need you to be our process person. How did you develop that focus? Uh, Because I think this is something that you think about hiring future presidents or even existing presidents saying, maybe I need to invest myself more in understanding process so I can lead from that place. How did you get to that place? Well, when I was a, an assistant professor uh, at, a, at a small private institution in upstate New York, I, I ended up uh, by default on the strategic planning committee. And so at the tender age of about 24, um, I sat at a table with a bunch of folks trying to do a strategic plan and tried to get my head around concepts like strategy and tactics and action and had a heck of a time doing it. Uh, yeah. But that's where it started and then uh, eventually becoming a a dean uh, and then as provost uh, in every one of those settings, uh, maybe it was just the the luck of the timing, uh, but we were always in need of um, of a plan and a strategy. So, uh, so over time, in a lot of different institutional settings, I kept watching institutions waste an enormous amount of energy on planning that went nowhere. And uh, and thought to myself, you know, when the time comes where I've where I've got an ability to put a plan together, I'm going to do everything in my power, recognizing that you know this is where this is where the uh, disenchantment with a with an administration begins when a president walks in and states his or her vision, which somehow they have independent of the campus. And then starts people on a process to execute their vision, and the campus, and there's this disconnect. Uh, when I was at a at a, a research one university, um, where I spent uh, 14 years of my career, uh, we went through six presidents in the space of uh, in the space of about six years, and I just watched this happen again and again and again. And so it, it really, it really uh, I felt compelled to spend a lot of time thinking very carefully about process. And, uh, and I could just well be a function of, of just my own particular history that caused that to occur. But what I learned was if you, if you think through carefully how you're going to engage everybody authentically, not symbolically, authentically, uh, you're prepared to accept the results that come of that. You use that to shape the vision, not your vision, but the institution's vision. Uh, and then you keep going back to that well, not just that one year on the strategic plan, but you go back every year and you say, here's how we did. Here's what we think we'd like to do. What do you think? 
and you invite that comment and you think about it as a, as a planning group and you keep altering that plan and you keep putting it back out there. So that plan goes in front of everybody every year. Hey, folks, here's how we did. Here's where we're falling short. We think we nailed this and this is done. Let's take that off the plan. Let's that. So it's always, it's always iterative. Um, you know, then you've got something authentic and real and, and people can see it and they can see our failures and they can see our successes. We have both. Uh, and, uh, and, and they feel like they, they continue to be part of that evolutionary process. So, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I guess I can't give you any magic preparation other than, you know, if you're, if you're sitting out there and you're thinking you'd like to be a president and you haven't gone through these, these kinds of processes, um, Throw yourself, throw yourself into it, and experiment while you're not sitting in the presidency. So you get an idea to, you get a chance to experiment with groups of people working on concepts and 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 how you can communicate and and create that holding environment and empower them and let them, you know, and learn from them. You know, run those little experiments in in a smaller set. Put a pilot project together and run an experiment that would model what a larger strategic planning process would look like. So, so you can learn what that would be like when you amplify it across a whole university. You know, so you know, I'm thinking about what are my what are my three big takeaways uh, in listening to you. And I, and I'm telling you, our audience, uh, anyone listening to this, especially those who are thinking about being a president, there's no question that your insight uh, and approach has gotten you to a place that you are engaging your community. And I'm inspired just listening to you. But the three takeaways for me are: one, give up control. You have to be willing to give up a sense of control of the process. Two, engage deeply on other people's terms, but give them a structure that they can do this in. And this is what that intentional uh, summit and everything you did off of that. And three, own the process, not just the outcomes. And I think that is something we often find ourselves delegating as opposed to saying, these are these are leadership qualities. These are the things leaders have to bring to the table. So, Mark, I got to tell you that um, I think you have – not only are you doing, and I'm certain, great service for Valparaiso, you are, you are, in my view, a role model for other institution leaders to step back and say, how much am I bringing my energy around that, as opposed to my job is to either veto or make sure I get a strategic planning committee and I'm going to watch this. You are, you are fully invested in this, and I'm telling you, that's a, that's a unique style around a strategic planning process. Well, you're, you agree, you're very, Pete? You're, you're very kind. You're very well, kind. Thank you. Where are you in the process of the strategic plan right now, today, and and what's next on your uh, on your uh, laundry list of things to uh, to take care of at Valparaiso? Well, so we're looking at uh, you know we're looking like most institutions as at what levers do we have to increase our uh, financial sustainability and uh, and make sure that we're uh, positioned with a, a good sense of financial equilibrium going forward as kind of the external circumstances keep driving us. So, uh, so what I've done now, starting with the board, um, is developed a fairly extensive white paper on on the levers for financial sustainability at Valparaiso University and put some questions together and uh, and so I've started there with the board um, this semester I'm meeting with every school and college faculty and staff and also some key staff groups uh, and uh, we're going to invite their um, feedback to that concept paper around levers for financial sustainability uh, then uh, 
our, our formal strategic planning committee is going to digest that in May, uh, and uh, we're going to reflect on it over the summer. And then guess what, guys? Uh, in the fall, we're going to have a summit, 2.0, uh, and we're going to use some of the same principles we used back in 2008 because here we are now, eight going on nine years since the, since the beginning of my presidency. It's really time for us to look at where, celebrate what we've done well, look at where we didn't make progress, step back and look at what the world is and how it has changed fundamentally since we began this process and ask ourselves, all right, these are, this is our most desired future. These are our values as an institution. This is our mission. This is our vision. What's the strategy? And so, uh, so, you know, we're completing that circle and we're moving ahead. It wasn't because we had a five-year plan. It's because we can feel it as a campus because we're so in touch with what's happening. We kind of know now it's time to step back and recalibrate and, and move ahead. So I'm, I'm as energized and as excited as I was back in 2008. It's a, um, the campus, of course, is anxious about that because you don't know what's going to come of it. Uh, but to me, uh, we've got terrific people at this place. We have a good set, sense of consensus about who we are. So I'm confident that what's going to come out of that is going to propel the institution uh, forward to, uh, to achieve some new things. So. So that's what's next. That is very cool. And one of the things that I like so much about it is that it feels so much like you have cultivated a leadership team across departments that now have a mandate and, and a sense of trust that even though there is uncertainty across campus, it sounds like people are much are, are even that much more willing uh, to, to have faith in this, in, in whatever comes next. I'm struck by the optimism. I'm, I'm thinking, Mark, you really are close to being in your late 20s, right? You, there's yep, no yep. way. <laughs> I'm 29. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your optimism is uh, infectious, and it's something I talk a lot more these days about um, in the face of challenges. I think we have serious topics, but we don't have to be serious to discuss serious topics, and I think you are an example of how to approach tough conversations with a level of energy and optimism. So I'm kudos to you for your approach. It's, it's really uh, exciting. Well, thanks to both of you. I, uh, uh, it's been a pleasure to re relive some of these, uh, some of these years. And it also gives me some, uh, some, uh, energy and momentum going into the conversations that are ahead. So, uh, it's been as much a gift to me, uh, as, uh, as an opportunity to talk with you. So thank you for the opportunity. We sure appreciate your time. Everybody head over to valpo.edu. Their website is beautiful. Their campus is gorgeous. There's a wonderful virtual tour there. Get to know a little bit about, uh, about what Valpo exists to do. Uh, and, and you will understand even more about uh, you know the, the feelings behind this conversation on their strategic plan going forward. On behalf of uh, Mark Heckler uh, and Howard Teibel, my name is Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel, Inc.